All right, everybody. Well, you got us back here with the Outdoor Country Talk podcast with your host, Mr. Jacob Poole, and myself, Jeremy Shaw. Well, Poole, we have got into that time to where, you know, we're in between seasons. You know, our duck hunting and, and deer hunting is wrapped up, but we're patiently awaiting the kings of spring. I'm not even... I, I get to the fine opportunity to see some beautiful turkeys yesterday. And the only problem was, is there was a field full of turkeys with one long time out there. And it was like, Oh, this is going to be a challenge. This is going to get interesting later on. Eight Jakes. <laughs> I think there were 13 hens and one gobbler. And I'm like, mm, this is going to get really interesting because you know, every sound you make one of them Jakes or two of them Jakes are coming. So. So you're saying the competition is looking pretty stiff already, huh? It is, but I told the kids what I saw Saturday or Sunday. That was yesterday. And they assured me that Jake's are legal for them, (laughs) (laughs) which I assured them we we don't like to shoot Jake's. Uh, Not saying (laughs) I won't let them get one, but since all of them have have all got their first bird and they were all really, really, really nice birds, it's going to be hard to go down from a 10 or 11-inch beard with a inch and a quarter spurs down to a jake with nub so yeah but you know duck and deer season has ended but our guest we were talking about earlier just a minute i guess before you got on too that uh you know the the snow goose flight is still still quite active so tube extension yeah. is on shells are ready i saw uh i saw your picture you sent a group message and and Gary Wayne and Shedler and myself, we're, uh, I actually talked to the, to the outfitter earlier this afternoon and we're trying to get everything lined up for a hunt here in a couple few weeks. So yeah, we're going to see how that goes and maybe that'll, that'll just pacify us a little bit until, until we get into turkey season. Well, Cameron informed me earlier that she thought squirrel season was open. So she's <laughs> not completely all the way out yet. She, she's, She's re- rearing to go for turkey season, but she told me she may need to practice shooting at some squirrels between now and then. So, hey, whatever it takes. Well, I've got to actually pull up Mississippi, you know, and see if it actually is season right now or not. So, it's sad to say I'm not actually 100% sure it is open. So, we we will be well, checking that out later tonight. There you go. There you go. But I think we have a great show lined up. Uh, for this episode, I think it's going to be very interesting. Got a very interesting guest and his story. He's told us a little bit about it before we start recording and kind of the road he wants to take us down with, with his journey. And, uh, man, I'm really looking forward to it. Myself also. Uh, when I spoke to him the other day, it was just, you know, trying to kind of figure out which direction we wanted to go with it and, and see where all it would lead. And, and I, I think everybody's going to enjoy this, but. Well, you want to go ahead and introduce our guest for this evening? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and introduce I'm going to introduce him as what he's known on social media because I think that's the best way to represent it. So tonight we have with us uh, Ryan off the grid. Ryan, how are you, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us. Well, Ryan, as you and I spoke the other day, just trying to get a, you know, a kind of a grasp and idea of which direction we were going, you know, it was kind of simple just to, just to tell your story. You know, I, I know a lot of people that follow you on social media, you know, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, you know, YouTube, they see all that you do all the time, but they may not know the backstory of the why and kind of how you got to the point that you are today. And it was kind of like, well, you know, let's, let's start there. Let's start at the beginning. So if you don't mind, you know, introduce yourself to everybody and, and let's let's go ahead and get cranked out. Sounds good. I mean, uh, I guess the the origins of hunting for me. I grew up just north of Green Bay, um, little town of nine thousand, surrounded by farmland. Uh, it, my father didn't hunt, uh, but every every other kid that was my age was out there, you know, shooting squirrels and shooting raccoons, and got into deer hunting a little bit. Never really duck hunted uh, as a kid. Um, the deer camp was a thing for our family. My dad, though he didn't hunt, would go. My uncle, my cousin, my brother. Um, but so deer hunting was basically the formative, uh, years of my hunting. Um, 
after graduating high school, I left two days uh, after graduation for the Marine Corps and spent six and a half years uh, in the Marine Corps infantry with uh, one deployment to Iraq in 2004 and 2005. And then coming home from that is where hunting really started to pick up a little bit more. Um, I had both the means to purchase the equipment and more time to do it and still really didn't duck hunt. I mean, I, I would kill a wood duck here, a mallard or a goose. I had no concept of spread, winds, scouting, any of that. I would just go out and if it happened, it happened and I was happy with that. Um, but the, the, what changed me from a guy who hunted ducks a little bit to a duck hunter or a waterfowl hunter, uh, in the year 2011, uh, the summer, I lost both my parents two months apart to cancer. And I was already kind of dealing with PTSD from combat and drinking way too much. And the depression stage of, of losing parents like that in that manner sent me off the rails and I had zero direction. And that October, a Marine that I had served with worked for a nonprofit that uh, had heard about this duck hunt in Wisconsin uh, in the Horicon Marsh. And if people aren't familiar with the Horicon Marsh, it's the largest freshwater cattail marsh in North America. Um, I mean, the Robertsons have hunted there. It's kind of a, one of the meccas of duck hunting. And I, I went on this hunt. There was five vets and a couple of guides and something flipped in me. And I think it was the camaraderie aspect of being out there with other vets and being able to share. I mean, duck hunting is not a discipline when it comes to, uh, you know, being quiet, sneaking up on something. There's a lot of joking and, and, and fellowship out there waiting for the ducks to fly and, and that really stuck with me and sent me head over heels into duck hunting bought a boat bought a dog started learning more and picking people's brains and um, it, it just really exploded to the point where i mean i was still hunting locally but I, duck hunting was my thing at that point Oh, trust me, we understand. We've said on here many, many a time, if you're not having a good time in a duck blind, you're in the wrong blind. Because because of exactly what you talked about. You're sitting there joking, you're picking at somebody, somebody's made a bad shot, somebody fell over. You know, there's a million and one things that can go wrong for everything just to go right. And you have one of those mornings that it's just, everything just works right. But there's so many mornings where it's nothing going on for hours, so... You're, you're picking and playing and joking and telling stories. And you know, that's what, that's what builds the long-term relationships and makes everybody wonder, you know, why in the world would you go sit in 20 degree water and do that? You just need to go with us sometime. That, that's I mean, there's a, there, there's a shared misery uh, aspect of being in the infantry as well as, I mean, if it's terrible outside, it's a good duck hunting day. So you're sharing that misery. It's amazing how some of the worst weather turns out to the best days as a duck hunter. But before we go too far, you know, I want to say thank you for your service because, you know, a lot of folks in this country nowadays don't, don't, you know, reflect that. And Jeremy and I on this show, we, we want to make sure, and I believe all of our listeners do also, you know, big shout out and big thanks to you. Absolutely. Thank you. But tell me this, right? You know, you say that, that going back to that hunt, that hunt changed your life and, and really changed everything for you. Do you have any one aspect or just do you think it was a, a culmination of a, of several things that happened during that hunt that just, like you say, made that, that switch flip? There's two guys that were best friends that started this duck hunt. And... Uh, at the end of that weekend, you know, they were like family to me. We, we kept in touch. Um, you know, the, the following season, uh, when early goose started or teal season was going on, you know, we were texting each other back and forth and, and seeing how they were doing, where they were at. And, um, having lost my parents, Ryan Boy, one of the founders and his wife, Carrie, 
who's like the den mom. She, she runs that show logistically, administratively. They became like, you know, I was, I was 30 something years old, but I, I didn't have that type of person in my life. And they, they, they filled the void a little bit. And, um, the following year I asked him, I said, what you guys are doing is so cool. Community's involved. Um, how many guys do you want? And they said, well, bring us 25. And I, I brought 25 the next year. And the next year I said, how many do you want this year? You know, 40. And I mean, we're at year 11 this year. And in the last four years, probably we've taken 85 guys out over the course of the weekend. Guys get in on Friday. We've got lodging provided. The, the John Deere Machinist Union Hall is set up like a barracks. Uh, with cots, uh, food is provided. There's different restaurants that donate. There's butchers that donate. Um, you know, you got mom and pop <laughs> restaurants showing up with baked pies and, and we have a waiting list for guides and it, it, it's just insane how many people are involved with this. I mean, I grew with the growth of this event and, you know, eventually took a position as, uh, veteran liaison to the board i mean i'm so involved with that hunt that's that is my bread and butter hunt that everything that happened after that that was the blueprint for what i wanted to do um, for other people with other types of duck hunting world or nationwide if not worldwide that's awesome so you started from this hunt really is where ryan off the grid came from well, that, that year, I had quit my job. I was working for a, uh, a federal agency that shall remain unnamed, uh, which was a super toxic work environment. And I picked up a camera um, because when the ducks reverse migrate in spring, I mean, all the drakes are all plumed out. I mean, I was just like, I wanted something outdoors. It, it, it already pointed me that direction. I'd taken some pictures. And posted them on Facebook and people are like, those are really good. And I'm talking like a Casio point and shoot, pretty <laughs> hunk of junk piece of camera, but the, the eye you can't teach. And so I got better equipment and I was like, I'm going to make a go at this. And I mean, if my dad was still alive, he would have hit me upside the back of the head. You're leaving a federal job. <laughs> Something with retirement and pick, benefits. <laughs> to pick up a camera and chase birds. And I'm like, yep. <laughs> you know, like, that's what I'm doing. Um, so, I mean, the, in, in, the, in the spring migration, taking pictures and uh, honing that craft and learning and then teaching myself and kind of building a brand of off the grid photography is uh, another duck hunter who is an acquaintance on Facebook. Uh, Patrick Cummings actually will be down with him this week for snow geese down in uh, Arkansas. The Pat's from Michigan and he guides all kinds of different stuff. I mean, he guides geese in Michigan, uh, old squaw, snows down in Arkansas. I mean, he's just, that's what he does year round. He's, he's, he's just a hardcore guide, but he noticed my photos. Uh, we didn't know anything about each other except we're, we're Facebook friends and he knew I hunted and he's like, your pics are really good. Do you know how to film? And I said, not a clue, but where do you want me? You know, like, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and uh got in the truck and drove down to Texas. That would be the following uh two springs after um after leaving my federal job. I went down there and filmed a uh, Rio Grande turkey hunt and Pat got picked up by Pursuit Channel and I was you know, when I wasn't running the camera, I was on a tear of, of filling up my, my bucket list of different stuff I wanted to hunt in Texas and all over the place. So the, the producers started being like, well, who's the tattooed bearded muscle freak that films? Cause he's killing a lot of stuff too. So I kind of had this dual role of filming being in front of the camera and, uh, that opened up doors and windows all over the place. And, and that's where really the brand, uh, Ryan off the grid started and it became a more feasible uh, career, so to say. Okay. So, Ryan, this is not something that took years to develop or anything like that. I mean, it just, it took off for you, right? Uh, you know, people say luck, you know, it must be nice. Yeah. You know, there's, a, there's, a, <laughs> there's a lot of hard work. I mean, that, that, that goes without saying, but I mean, I mean, luck is the crossroads of 
of preparation and opportunity. And that's a quote that stuck with me because Patrick giving me that opportunity and me being ready to take it. And then not only being down there doing it, constantly learning and constantly improving your craft. You know, I, I went back and looked at some of those videos, especially that Rio video. And I was like, Oh my, I mean, I almost dry heat you, but I was like, these are so bad. <laughs> you know, these are, <laughs> these are not good, but you had to start somewhere. And, and being able to, to just keep getting better. And, and as my following kept growing, I mean, it, it, now I'm turning out stuff like crazy. I mean, I'm, I basically get to pick where I want to go. At first, it was wherever they told me to be. So, is it fair to say it was it was a uh, it was a a very big chance taken? You know, knowing you're quitting a job to start doing this, and like, you, were you just sitting there saying, you know, I hope this leads me somewhere, or kind of what was your mindset doing that? I I don't know. Like, I mean, I I remember going up to my cabin right the week I quit. And I mean, I was probably a, a bottle of rum deep sitting on the, the dock uh, in way northern Wisconsin with my dog. And, I'm, and I had a conversation with my dad, you know, like I'm, I'm talking out into the water at, and, you know, shooting stars or, or uh, Milky Way and the loons calling. And I said, am I doing the right thing here? I'm like, give me a sign. And, and I don't know if it was the rum, but a wood duck picked up. It's black of the night and landed right on the end of the dock, on the edge of the dock. Oh, wow. And I was like, okay. That's it. <laughs> let's, let's go. Let's do it. There's Man, your that's sign. that's awesome. Yeah, that's a pretty neat. And, and like you say, I, I think we've all, you know, we, we've all been there where, you know, there's things in life that, you just weren't sure if you were making the right decision and, and it seems like something just kept pushing, kept pushing. And, you know, whether, whether you got a sign like you did or not, you know, you just decided to chase it. And, you know, some of those decisions work out well, some don't, but that's, that's part of life. You know, not everything goes, goes the right way, but, you know, with, with you doing this and, and the way it's gone, I would say you definitely made the right decision. So I'm not looking backwards. <laughs> No, and it looks like the future's bright. So what all, and while we're on that, now I know we have one topic we haven't hit yet that I do do want to get onto before we get off here, but what do you see for Ryan off the grid? Is there any, is there anything you want to let us know that's coming up or that you've got working on that's going to be pretty spectacular? Well, this, this last year, um, been working really closely with Apex. They're down there by you guys. Um, and ammunition, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 And they're veteran owned and, uh, Nick saw what I was doing and it's really expanded quite a bit to the point where like my, my calendar's full. Um, having three kids at home and a wife to keep happy filming, coming home, having to edit, you know, like I have to actually keep a calendar because <laughs> I'm not good at that. And it could, to space all this out and fit it all in, uh, Apex is providing uh, shells for all the turkey hunts we have coming up this spring and providing shells for all the veteran duck hunts we have. And we've got uh, some big ones this year, uh, Chesapeake Bay for scoters with Poseidon Waterfall. Um, we're going to be doing uh, Barrows, Harlequin, and Scoters, Longtails, uh, and the Puget Sound. Um Probably going back to Maine again this year for commoniters. And we got it. There's, there's so many hunts I'd have to seriously like look through my calendar to see when we have one where. And, and I mean, it's not just duck hunting. We got bear hunts. We got, uh, all kinds of stuff, uh, with, with the nonprofit that I'm working with, uh, most closely, uh, High Point Adventures is out of Colorado. Um, we, First hunt we ever did together was a mountain lion hunt for a vet. I mean, it's all kinds of stuff. I mean, duck hunting is my bread and butter and my favorite, but we, we just don't limit it to that. There's opportunities and lots of people that want to give their time and knowledge and uh, expertise. And it's, it, being able to replicate 
that community feel like when I sit down with an outfitter before the hunt, I, I talk to them about Horicon Marsh and, and what that hunt is about and why so many guys keep showing up. You know, we have 50% of the guys that come back are, are return vets every year. It's because of that community feel and it's because of that camaraderie and it's because of, of just the wholesome goodness of people giving is a contagious thing. Oh, no doubt. Anytime you can get a community involved, that's, that's phenomenal. And especially for such a good cause. Now, Ryan, the, the other hunts that you do, are they kind of centered around veterans also, or is the Horicon Marsh really the big veterans event that you do? I mean, that is the, the, the original, uh, that is the epicenter of, of why I do this. Um, but all, I mean, all the hunts that I do are either, uh, it really depends what, what nonprofit you're working with or what, uh, what the elephant wants to do. Sometimes we have guys that are purple heart. Sometimes we have combat vets. Sometimes we have veteran in general, like in Maryland, uh, that Poseidon is donating a 12 veteran hunt. And this year with that many slots available, it's going to be any veteran, you know, no, no, combat designation i'm going to do six male veterans and six female and i'm very particular i want female duck hunters i don't want a girl that's that or a female that is deer hunted i want duck hunters that are hardcore and i think i got all six lined up want to be able to have something like that to help promote women in the outdoors got you i like that you know we do a lot you know, not, not getting off topic, but we do a lot with youthful hunters trying to get people who have never, you know, youthful hunters and non-hunters into duck hunting through Delta Waterfowl. And there's a lot of good organizations out there. That's just one that we use. It's always a blast to us to hear new hunters come up and tell us, you know, hey, guys, I, I came to one of y'all's events or, you know, we heard one of y'all's shows or, you know, and it kind of got me intrigued and now they're wanting you know, starting a duck hunt and they're, they're trying to learn and do things. And yeah, I know Jeremy's like, I am, I love answering questions. So, you know, anytime we can bring a new hunter into it, we're always tickled, but you're bringing, you know, experienced hunters on this hunt. And that's, that's a neat thing for the industry also to try to try to develop more, more relations on that. Well, it's, it's funny you say that because, the specialty hunts, you know, they got, if we're chasing common eiders in, in, in the North Atlantic. I don't want somebody that's never duck hunted before. That That's a once-in-a-lifetime hunt. I want a guy that, you know, is a puddle duck hunter from Ohio or has, all he ever shoots is teals and pintails in, in California. I want people that are hardcore about duck hunting where they live but would have never had that opportunity. But the Horicon hunt, I would say – Probably an eighth of the guys that show up every year have never duck hunted. And first time, what are they calling it now, adult onset hunting, those guys are awesome to put on camera because they're like little kids. They, they, they just, they're so like overwhelmed by it that they just say what's on their mind. And watching some of these guys four or five years later that had never duck hunted by their own boat, by their own decoys, some of these guys live in my area, so now they're my minions. I have them scout fields for me. You know, like once they start getting into it. <laughs> they your boots on the ground now. <laughs> hey, you work over here, right? Yep. Well, I'll drive by this field after work. Tell me if there's birds in it. <laughs> That's not a bad That's idea, good. Jeremy. We may need to incorporate that. <laughs> it, it, it's so much fun to watch them grow and watch them be able to do it. And then they they turn around and start giving back and taking kids or taking new people. I mean, first-time hunters are awesome. That, that, that's one of my favorite things is, is being able to sit down and, and, and just teach. Well, one thing that we've learned over the years, and I'm sure you have also, if we're not giving back and teaching the next generation or this current generation how to do it, it's not going to get passed down. So, you know, anybody that you can bring into the fold – it is always, you know, wonderful to to get somebody new on and and see that excitement when they when it finally clicks. You know, they're not just out there, you know, just doing something they don't understand. When it finally clicks and they really get into it, 
that's when it's, it, you know, it, like you say, that's, that's when it really gets in inspiring and, and intriguing to watch. Watching somebody take their first animal and go through the whole gauntlet of emotions, you know, it, it, cause you've been there and, and watching them feel, you know, they just took a life, but then understanding why uh, the elation of, of success, I mean, that's more exciting for me than Anytime I'll ever pull a trigger the rest of my life, and I don't care if it's the day I finish the 41 or not. It, 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 that, taking a kid like and doing that, that, that takes a kick. Oh, yeah. Well, you mentioned something there that we want to transfer over to, but I want to throw a quick little story in there to tell you about, I guess, call it one of my first this, this sunning season. My youngest one, he's, he's five, and, uh, and I haven't taken him duck hunting yet. He's been deer hunting a couple of times, but, he, uh, he's been begging me this season and just kind of later into the season, like, daddy, can I go? Daddy, can I go? And, and the way we hunt, you know, we, we tromping a lot of public land. It's, it's just tough to, you know, carry a kid that small under the, under, you know, the normal conditions. And so a couple of weeks ago or last week, I think it may have been, I was able to go hunt some private land and, um, and we may have played hooky from school, but I told him that, uh, I said, buddy, you want to go with me in the morning? He said, I can go. I said, yeah, yeah, you can go. I said, but here's what we're going to do now. I said, you're going to, um, and, and the guy that, that has the property, he, he actually said it was okay. He was going to sit on the bank with him because we had, we were going to be hunting about maybe a hundred yards into the, into the water off the bank. And he said, just bring him. He can sit on the bank with me and, and, you know, let him experience it. And, um, so I told him we had a little, little drive from the house about an hour and a half. And, and I told him that, uh, I said, well, we're going to have to wake up at about three o'clock. And I said, I'm going to wake up at three. I'm going to get you up and we got to, we got to meet them at their house at four. And I said, you're going to be able to get up at that time. Oh yeah. So he gets his jacket ready the night before. And, and I go to the shed and get his older brother's first pair of waders and lay all that stuff out for him. And he had to, he had to model it in the house, you know, the night before and all that. <laughs> so well, I, I wake up at three, I, I make my coffee and get everything ready. And I go in there and I just barely like tap it at three 30 and he bounces up, goes, brushes his teeth, gets everything together. And I said, son, are you okay? He said, yeah, I'm ready to go hunt. I said, why is it at seven o'clock in the morning? We got to wake you up for school. It's like trying to, trying to wake a, a hibernating bear up. But, uh, but man, he was, I think, you know, got him out there and he, he found him a log he could sit on and he could watch us and everything. And it was like just right, right the time a few wood ducks started flying. I hear him. Hey, did you see that one? Daddy, did you see that one? It was, <laughs> it, you know, obviously he didn't, he didn't shoot anything, but he, uh, man, that was a, that was a highlight of his, of, uh, of his, I guess this hunting season was him getting to go for his very first time. That's awesome. But you mentioned the 41. So a lot of people may not understand what that is or what you're trying to accomplish with that. Kind of enlighten everybody of what that is and what you're trying to accomplish. Well, I think it became popular with, uh, the Hunt 41, uh, video series, which is, uh, phenomenally done. Um, there's 41 species of duck including puddle ducks, diver ducks, sea ducks, um, tree ducks, um, geese, and add a crane and a swan in there that are huntable. There's a couple other species that are not included in that. I, I don't actually know why. Like emperor goose is such a hard draw, um, and I guess you could include the uh, Mexican mallard, uh, which is now considered a, a full species, not a, not a subspecies. Uh, but, the, I mean, there's 41 that are, are on this list, and it is like the pinnacle of waterfalling. Um, you have to go all over the country, all over North America, to find all these species where they're prevalent. I mean, you can get lucky and, and get a, a lost bird every once in a while, but to get it done, I mean, there's a lot of traveling. And I have five birds left. And so red-breasted merganser, uh, both the, the whistling ducks, the tree ducks in Florida, a model duck, and a brand. And it's very possible that I can finish this next season. I'm, I'm not pushing that hard to do it. And when it happens, it happens. Um, I'm, I'm just excited to be this close, and it's, it's a reality that it, it could happen in my lifetime here. So did that start in 2011? Not even close. <laughs> okay. 
you know, I, you know, I shot mallards. A lot of the ducks that we have, uh, on the marsh there are puddle ducks, mallards, pintails, widgeon. Um, you do get an occasional diver, uh, redheads, bluebills that will cruise the marsh. Um, and so, I mean, I wasn't even, I didn't even start counting and, or, or start checking off a, a checklist, uh, until, let's see, this would have been three years ago in, in January. Uh, Jeremy Ullman, also out of Michigan, who's an acquaintance through Patrick, um, and Patrick was there guiding as well. Uh, we seem to find ourselves in the same spot a lot. Um, that does Jeremy, happen. go ahead. I said that does happen. <laughs> the waterfall community is so small. You know, going to chase King Eiders with Jeremy on St. Paul Island, which is in the middle of the Bering Sea. It's between Russia and the, the tip of Alaska. I mean, it, it is out there. That's where the deadliest catch is filmed. The, the trident plants right there. It's this rock in the middle of the ocean. Um, I ran into people there that I've crossed paths with the people that are, that are chasing this 41. You start, you start seeing them other places because you know, they're, they're diehard waterfallers and it's, it's cool to, to meet somebody there. Even if you're not hunting with the same outfit, I mean, you, you may just, you know, bump into them somewhere else. Um, I'm sure this week down in Arkansas, there, there's going to be a pile of guys that are that, duck season's over, but they haven't had enough yet. So, <laughs> but Jeremy contacted me and he, this was going to be his inaugural season there. He had, he had gone there in summer and got all the gear he needed. Uh, you're in like 16, 18 foot, uh, inflatable, uh, Zodiacs. Uh, which actually navigate the waves a little better than some of the Alaska craft hard bottoms. Uh, but he got everything all over there and he asked me, he said, if you can get yourself here and you film me a, a some type of promotional material to help me book hunts, uh, you can hunt your king eiders and your harlequins for free. And I was like, deal. So I booked a plane ticket. <laughs> a lot of your gear doesn't make it. Because the island, the, the natives that live there, the, the Aleut people, they're, they're phenomenal. They're, they're awesome people. Um, they don't have everything they need there. So if there's anything of, of necessity that is getting shipped over, anything in your check baggage might get bumped for, uh, like our food shipment got bumped because a, a native had died on the mainland and the, the casket and the body being sent back to the island was priority. So like none of our food got there. So I put on, knowing that that, that was the case, and I was not going to check my camera gear, I put on my entire duck hunting kit, and I went through TSA in Milwaukee <laughs> and flew all the way there and, and full waders and everything. Hold on, back up now. You went through TSA in waders, jacket, yes. everything? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> and, uh, and I have quite the beard. So, you know, there was a couple people joking a little bit about Duck Dynasty. And, the funniest thing that happened is I'm in line and there's a, a black gentleman behind me and he is looking at me like I'm an alien. <laughs> and I turned around and I was like, this is some real white people stuff, isn't it? And he's like, bro, you said it. And we had like the best laugh over it. <laughs> well, I'm tickled just because I can picture this in my head, but I'm also tickled because Jeremy and him like to make fun of how I travel all the time. If I'm flying, went up to Utah this year. I, I wear shorts a lot. I wear shorts under my waders unless it's extremely, extremely cold. So I have shorts, rubber boots. My jackets are on. I have one rolled up in my backpack because I have, like you, I have everything essential other than my firearm is on me. My calls are in my bag. Everything that I think I'm going to need other than gun and shells are on me somewhere. I had my waders rolled up in my backpack. Did not have a change of underwear or socks. I had enough stuff on me that I could go, <laughs> and if nothing else other than my gun made it to Utah, and if it didn't make it, I could borrow one or buy one when I was there. But I knew I could at least, you know, enough gloves, face mask, everything else, I could make the hunt no problem. So, I get picked at a lot when I go through the airport in shorts and rubber boots. <laughs> but you're ready to roll. And if, if their stuff doesn't come, you're, you're hunting. They're but cold. I've never thought about wearing my waders through the airport. 
you you may have just hit on a new fad. I may have to try that one time this year. I've I've got a picture in front of the Alaska Air like check-in kiosk because I was like, we got to document this. What was the, what was their first reaction? Did they really even bother? Um, I mean, <laughs> coming back through, uh, <laughs> I was checking ducks and they pulled all that out. So like it's TSA, they're about useless. And so they were like just looking at me. <laughs> I had to take my waiters off to to go through. I was like, whatever. I mean, they're coming with me. That's all that matters is that when I hit the ground, I have what I need to film at the very least. What did they, okay, they made you take your waiters, I guess, just like shoes going through. Yeah. You had to take your shoes yep, and your belt off. So you they had ran to, them through the conveyor belt. <laughs> so hopefully, uh, not to draw too vivid, hopefully you had something other than underwear on. <laughs> <laughs> you had well, I, I, had, I had shorts on underneath. I, I figured that was going to happen. Okay. Yeah, I didn't hey, thought you, about that you part. You prepared for that one. <laughs> well, most people that travel with me, when I come through with shorts and rubber boots on, you know, one of the guys here locally, he loves to travel with me, and he said his favorite thing is watching everyone else's reaction as I walk by. Because <laughs> I've usually got a big camo jacket on, a backpack, and shorts and rubber boots, and I'm striking out to the next, you know, wherever we got to be for the next terminal. So I'm in, in high speed going, and, you know, he, he likes to drop back about 10 or 20 feet just so <laughs> he can watch, you know, when people walk by and go, oh, my God, what is he wearing? Or, you know. I love it. So, yeah, it sounds like we're kindred spirits on travel. Hey, you got to stick out, right? Uh, yeah, it works. But like you say, you always know that you're prepared. So, now, on the 41, you know, when I talked to you the other day, I was, you know, we had listened, I had listened to another podcast that you had done, and y'all kind of hit on it a little bit, but you really didn't go into it. And I'm like, you know, that would be an awesome. And then the more I visited with you, the more I realized you had way more to say, but the 41, when did you, when did it really hit you that, Hey, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for this, you know, it, it was that King Rider hunt, you know, getting to Alaska and, and shooting a Harlequin and shooting a King Rider, which are probably two of the hardest to get just, because of the geographical challenges and, and that's not even touching the surface at, at the conditions out there in the Bering Sea. I mean, that's not even it, just getting there was the hard part. And then <laughs> battling that once those two ducks are in your hand, it's like, Holy cow. Like I can do this. You know, it, it, this is pretty feasible that I can accomplish this in my lifetime. I mean, I, I don't even know what I was at number-wise there. And then, was then I actually started question. planning trips around it. After after I came home from, from Alaska, I started planning trips. Like, all right, I'm going to go here and target this bird. Well, when you got back, did you actually sit down and figure up the number and say, okay, I'm at 15 or I'm at 25? I did, but I don't know what it was. Okay. I mean, I, I, I notched off a crane um, down at uh, Amarillo. And pretty much had all the puddle ducks and divers done, um, but I just started booking sea duck hunts. Um, I'd shot a common rider before I shot a king uh, on a random trip, and that was that trip to Maine. I it, it still even wasn't even on my radar yet that I was going to do this. Uh, it, it was really holding that king. You know, when I, when I held that king, because I was kind of shooting in cleanup time. Because my priority there was to film. I knew I'd get my birds. I wasn't super worried about it. Um, we had a day that was pretty calm for for St. Paul area, and we stayed out almost all day, which doesn't usually happen there. And we'd kind of drift into uh, pods and wait for birds and pass shoot them. And I, I shot my first king, and when I put that in my hands, I got super emotional. And I wasn't ready for that feeling. But, it, I mean, there's something else that goes back to Horicon here, that, that Ryan Boy, the guy that was I was in the boat with the first day, the summer prior to St. Paul, he passed away. And, like, I'm sitting here holding this duck, and I'm, like, talking to him in my head 
I'm like, Ryan, you did this. <laughs> you know, like you, you sent me on this and here I am holding the king. I never, ever, ever would have been here unless you took me hunting that one day. And I was just choked up. And it, it, I got to tell his wife that and his kids that. And that was one of the coolest things to be able to, and, and we were all crying and hugging. And it, it was so gratifying to be able to share that experience with them, knowing that their father and their husband did that for me. Yeah, I bet that was a pretty cool story for you to you to tell and then to receive. I bet I bet that was pretty cool. No, another thing about Ryan is I have a shell with his ashes in it, and when I finish the forty-one, I'm loading that thing up and I'm gonna shoot at a duck and miss so I can blame it on him one more time. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Now, and that is an awesome sentiment. I mean. Just to be able to share that, you know, Jeremy and I over the years have, we, we lost a good hunting companion, good friend, and you know, that would be, that would have been a really neat, you know, we've done different things over the years, just kind of a pay tribute and, you know, it never fails if during duck season, if we happen to go by, you know, certain areas, we always, there's always a story told. So, but I know from listening to the other podcast, you also said something there that kind of, kind of touched me too you have an older dog yes and kind of have a you you kind of have a, a plan in mind maybe for that last when you on the 41 did i understand so I'm, that right I'm, I'm probably going to be able to knock out a brand this next year i mean they're, they're a very nicely decoying bird um that, that that shouldn't be an issue it's going to try to get florida done and with those being done, we have red-breasted mergansers here. I just don't really shoot mergansers um, because and they're just not good to eat. So I, once I started getting on this path and realizing where I was and kind of piecing the, the future puzzle together, and as I knock something off, I notch it off, I was like, why don't I wait? Because I see them on, we, the, the Fox River runs right through our town and goes to the Bay of Green Bay. And they're, they're on there late season all the time. I just never targeted one because I'd, I'd like to finish at home and I would like to finish over my dog. So my dog is 10. Um, so, you know, do the math, 2011. I picked my dog up and he's been with me. I mean, he hasn't retrieved all the 41. I mean, it's, that's just not feasible, but he's getting up there and he's slowing down a little bit. If I can finish over the top of him and he pulls that bird in, I mean, Cameras are going to be rolling because I'm going to be very vulnerable and I'm going to be very emotional and I don't care. And I think it needs to be shown that all the, I don't even know what I'm going to say when it happens. I don't have anything planned. I don't have anything scripted. It's just going to be raw and real emotion. Knowing that I started over this dog and finished over him, it's going to be pretty cool. Well, when I heard you say that, I was like, that is awesome. And I didn't even know anything about the shale at that time. So, you know, you add those two things in at the finish of the 41, and, I mean, that's spectacular. I, I don't know any other way of saying that. That's because, you know, I, I love my dog probably as much as I do. No, I'm not going to say as much as my kids, but it's right up there in the top with them. So to be able to have that tribute not only for her in my case, but, you know, for him and yours, that just that just adds to the story. For him, it's just it's just another retreat, you know. <laughs> he's just doing his thing, and hopefully, he's not like mine. He doesn't get out there and go, "God, I don't want to put that in my mouth and swim." <laughs> I'm not picking that mergander. Like, oh, come on, <laughs> come on, Dad. Why am I picking up the gangster on the last one? You know. <laughs> and you know what? If he does that, that's duck hunting right there. That, that's something people yeah. can identify with. That, that that's good enough for me. Absolutely. Well, and I say that I went on a hunt this year with some guys and had my dog out there and the guy shot a coot and he, you know, Sonny's swimming along beside me as we're walking back towards where we were hitting at and he threw it kind of in front of her. Well, she just swam around it. He's like, dude, really? I'm like, we, we don't, we don't let her pick up stuff like that. We, <laughs> we, we try not to shoot them, but you shot it. So you carry it back. I think that was kind of her sentiment too. So nice. 
but I could see her probably doing maybe not with a gangster uh, at, at Red Vexton. McGanzer may be a, and we call them gangsters down here. So we, matter of fact, Jeremy and them have a boat that's named the Gangster Getter. So, <laughs> yep, branded. But hey, Ryan, I know we're getting kind of on the on the back end of the podcast, but. One thing I noticed when I first looked at your, your Instagram, you know, you got Waterfowler first film photo. But, you know, looking through your feed of, of all the places you've been and what you do, I got to wonder where does cooking slash food fit in on this? Cause man, this looks like a, you know, a five star, you know, restaurant by some of these pictures. Is it, is, is that stuff you do yourself? I, I cook all that myself. So man, I mean, tell us, tell us kind of how that spawned. I know we're about, you know, about got ten more minutes or so, but okay, you know, elaborate on that a little bit. So I mean, even even growing up, you know, if I brought a squirrel home and if I dared bring that in the house, my mom would flip. Um, but she told me, and my mom, my mom was a German woman that could just absolutely throw down in the kitchen. She could cook. She said, if you bring it in here, processed. And, and ready to cook, like, like meat that I would, I can work with, but there's no guts, you know, like, it just looks like meat. We'll figure out how to cook. So that's what we did. And then kind of learned from her, um, to experiment and, you know, find stuff that complements, uh, whatever, whatever game you have. And I'm really on a, like a nose to tail eating kind of kick and trying different stuff. I mean, I ate an otter the other day, which, I won't do it again, but I did, I ate it. <laughs> <laughs> Tried once, won't go there again. But even I mean, even Canada goose, it, it gets such a bad rap. I've been playing around with uh, corning that or making pastrami out of it, and uh, just smoker, all kinds of different stuff. I mean it, that, but it all spawned from from my mother's ability to cook and and her. I mean, she understood that if I'm gonna kill it, I'm gonna eat it concept and and push that and i think it was her way of of being involved with me on something that i I really cared about and was part of my identity yeah i was just curious if if the uh if the culinary side was was a true part of ryan off the grid or or that was just kind of a side hobby or her or kind of what where'd that come from we eat mostly wild game, so it, it, and that's one thing I did notice that that pretty much everything you had, whether if it was bison or you know, it was all things that you had harvested. It wasn't didn't look like any you know a store bought meal. I mean, I'll throw down on a ribeye in the store every once in a while, but if we have that much meat, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's it's cool to be able to a utilize it, and then you know, you're you're consuming what you take, um, but. Being able to have the kids get interested in it and, and making things, they're, they're iffy when they, I mean, they, they know now if I put meat in front of them, they're like, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> is this another otter? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I did not make them eat the otter. I, I would not do that to them. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's pretty good. Well, and you know, I, I was proving a point with that otter that, that not everything that, that is killed is because of, 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 you know, consuming and it's not all for sustenance. I mean, the otters by us right now are so overpopulated. They're, they're putting a herd on the fish and, you know, there's, there's management science to, to hunting, fishing, trapping. And I, I ate it to prove that point. And I was like, look, this does not taste very good. <laughs> well, that's, we were in West Texas several years ago and had the opportunity to take access and all dad. And one of the guys that was with us had not taken anything. And he asked me, he said, do you mind if I pull one of those back straps out of your ice chest? I said, no, man, I'll go get you one. So I went and got him one, got him a hind quarter and come back. And he called me a couple of weeks later and he said, dude, he said, I thought that Axis meat was supposed to be good. I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> he said, that has got to be some of the toughest meat I have ever. And he said, dude, gamey. He said, I have done everything I could do to it. And he said, it's horrible. <laughs> I said, well, first off, 
let me go ahead and share a secret. I said, you didn't get the access. You got the all dad. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he made me swear not to tell his wife what he had made her eat. Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. Like, no, dude, you didn't get the access. I, I kept that for my family. You, I gave you the all dad. When, right. you, when you come up Access drawing zeros, darn good. yeah. When you come up drawing zeros, you get what you can get. And he's like, dude, that was so wrong of you. Here's your coot. Exactly. But you know, a lot of folks, most of folks that listen to our show, we're a hunting and fishing show. We're all about the outdoors. So you have mainly outdoors people that want to listen. But every once in a while, you get folks that don't. And there's so many people in this country nowadays that just don't get why we do a lot of what we do but if we take it at my house if it's if it's harvested kill whatever you want to call it it's eaten you know whether it's a duck a goose a a deer a turkey whatever it is we're going to do something with it i mean that's right nothing's wasted so now we don't cook every single part the way you know some folks do but you know we're we're taking we're taking the majority of it and it is, it is actually, you know, coming back into the fold and, and helping provide for my family. So absolutely. You know, you throw t- turkey nuggets on the counter at the house, they're not going to survive long. <laughs> and back, backstrap a bacon deer burger is, is the newest thing that the kids are hung up on right now. And, you know, we might as well have processed every one that we took this year and, just made bacon deer burger apparently because for some reason that is their new favorite and we we live on a cattle farm so it's like hey guys you know we have beef yeah but instead of instead of using beef now we're using deer burger so if they're consuming it i'd could care less either way so well ryan look man we're uh we're about out of time why don't you tell everybody kind of remind them how they can how they can follow you, how they can keep up with you, you know, your, your journey as you're going along and, and watch what you do and all that. Everything on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube is Ryan off the grid. It's, it's the same thing on each one of them. Um, so I've got plenty of videos out there. A lot of the veterans hunts, a lot of waterfall hunts. And then Instagram is basically where I put everything that's going on. So stand by for some snow geese this week. And, uh, then I think, I got a little bit of time off, and I'll head down to Texas and we're going to do some hog dogging. There you go. There you go. Well, look, Ryan, we enjoyed it, man. Great show. We we appreciate you getting on and, and talking with us. And uh, and everybody, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Battle of Country Talk, and God bless. God bless. <laughs>